Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. It's an honor to be asked by your pastor to join you today to open God's word together, to be encouraged by God's word together. And I want you to know that the, the staff, the team at Great Commission Collective, we have been praying for you. We have been seeking to serve your pastors. We, we love the people and the pastors in churches that are affiliated with Great Commission Collective. Now, I've been asked by your pastor to share from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 through verse 11. So I'm going to read that and then we're going to jump in. So beginning in chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by, by prayer. So many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now it hardly takes a PhD or a prophet to observe that we are living in exceptional times. This pandemic has hit our planet like, like a tsunami. It's, it's flooded the world with fear and disrupted literally every facet of life. I mean, just think about it. The economy, healthcare, business, transportation, government, nothing, nothing has been left untouched. But here's the thing. We're about to get much closer to seeing and viewing the real damage of this disease. You know, about three years ago, there was a hurricane, Hurricane Irma, that made landfall not far from the place that Kim and I were renting. And I learned very early in that experience that there was a huge difference between hearing about the effects of a hurricane by the news or watching it on TV and then walking out one's door and seeing the carport on top of my car or the street littered with trees or power lines down all over the place. And I think we're going to be observing something as we're, as we're leaving our homes and leaving our shelter. And the question that we have to ask is, how will we rebound in the face of such sweeping effects? I mean, just pondering it makes one feel, feel weak, feel frail, feel discouraged, perhaps even overwhelmed. 
And so I think the question we need to wrestle through is, from where are we going to find resilience to be able to move forward? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11 is truly an astonishing piece of Scripture. It is remarkable because it references one of the, one of the darkest moments in Paul's life, where Paul came face to face with his own disaster. Paul came face to face with his inability, with his weakness. And, and we're not just talking here about a bout of anxiety or depression, although that can be very serious and very painful. But for Paul, it was something much worse. I mean, it's one thing to be weak. It's another thing, to use Paul's words, to be utterly burdened beyond one's strength. It's one thing to be discouraged. But another thing, again, to use Paul's words, to despair of life itself. One thing to feel hopeless, but another thing to feel like you're, quote, under a sentence of death. Can you relate to any of those statements today? You know, maybe for you, this, this pandemic is just the backdrop of other suffering going on in your life. You're, you're feeling the, the, the crush of an unexpected illness or the loss of a marriage, the betrayal of a friend, uh, the, the, the crippling depression that greets you each morning when you get up. In other words, you also are feeling utterly burdened beyond your strength, maybe even despairing in some way. And if that's you, or, or you're someone who doesn't feel quite that bad, but you're like, hey, I just wanna know how to move on. God has something to say. God has something for you today. Because tucked in this chapter, in this extraordinary story about a time that, that Paul felt crushed, is also the story about, a, about the time that God helped Paul move on. God helped Paul move forward. And God wants to use this story to speak hope and faith into our dark nights and to help us to build the resilience we need to move forward. So let's together explore Paul's drama in three different acts. Act one is going to be the pain, act two is the purpose, and act three is the promise. So let's look, look first at act one, the pain. Again, this is how Paul introduces his experience in Asia. He says, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, it's curious. We don't know the cause of what was happening with Paul. So we don't know the cause, but Paul certainly gives us a clear picture of the pain that he was experiencing. There was something about the nature of this ordeal that created a burden that was so heavy that, number one, it was beyond his strength to bear. And number two, for some reason, Paul despaired of life itself. See, this is one of those moments where we need to slow down, like tap the brakes a little bit and just kind of peer at the wreckage of what Paul's describing. Because this was an experience of incomprehensible weakness. 
I mean, the visual that comes up here is of a burden just crushing him. Just imagine a, a person with a burden on their back, except it's a burden that exceeds their strength to bear it. And so it stops them. It cripples them. It crushes them. Paul says, that's how I felt. That's where I was. He says, I was utterly burdened beyond my strength, despairing of life. Actually, the word for despair there implies the total unavailability of any exit, of any escape whatsoever. I mean, think about what he's saying here. In other words, Paul says, we don't have the details of what's going on, but Paul says, I, I felt trapped. There was no escape. I felt crushed. There was no strength. I felt despairing. There was little hope. This was one of those seasons, and we've all had them. And this might be a good way to describe where you are right now, where it just feels like there's no exit and there's little hope for the future. In fact, Paul summarizes how he was feeling by, his, by saying, we felt, that's the word he uses, I felt like we had received a sentence of death. Does that describe you right now? I mean, that is such a, that, that's such a vivid image. Is, is that where you are? You know, if, if you've ever heard of Downton Abbey, I like to describe Downton Abbey as a popular BBC series that's afflicting fathers and husbands everywhere. If you've ever seen Downton Abbey, you know that there is this stunning plot twist where the main, one of the main characters, Bates, is convicted of killing his first wife. It's a charge of which he is innocent. But, but in this episode, he's standing in the dock, that's the witness stand, as the jury returns the verdict of guilty. And then the judge kind of pronounces over him. He says, John Bates, you have been found guilty of willful murder. You will be taken here from a place of, to a place of execution and you will be hanged by the neck until you are dead. And everyone gasps and Bates is speechless and his wife cries out as the sentence of death chills the air. Because it seems so final, it seems so desperate, it seems so hopeless and foreboding. Paul says, that was me. That was where I was. That was how I felt. Are you in Asia right now? Paul's talking about this experience he's had in Asia. We don't know why, but, but that's where he is. And it makes me wonder, is that where you are? Are you in this season of Asia? Feeling trapped, discouraged, hopeless. I mean, maybe you're reading this and you're just surprised over Paul's raw language, how, how honestly he describes where he is. And you never imagined that Paul's life could connect to our pandemic. Paul's life could connect to our fears about the future, our, our fears about our kids, our experience of, of powerlessness and weakness, that experience that pummels us every day, that sense that we feel trapped. Now listen, if, if God, if that's you right now, God wants to meet you today. 
Because this is not a drama that's just written to make us feel good. It's a story of deliverance. And God wants to give you a story of deliverance. But he first wants to fill your pain with purpose. And so that moves us along to act two, the purpose. So look carefully at the words in the second part of verse nine. But that was to make us rely. But, but let's just look at that first. Let, let's look at that, those words. That was to make us. Let's just stop there for a second. Because the words there imply an authority that is enforcing a certain outcome. That was to make us. Paul says there's a writer behind this story and he's writing a specific script and it's heading in a particular direction. There is one who determines the action, one who is giving meaning to the affliction in Asia. And of course, you and I know that that writer is is God. Now, I get it. You could be sitting there and you could be saying, wait a minute, Dave, are you suggesting that God intentionally brought Paul to a place of weakness, that God intentionally allowed Paul to get to a place of despair? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Why did he do this? Because I think what we rely upon is serious business to God. I mean, just listen to how Paul says it. He says, but that was to make us, make us what? Make us rely not upon ourselves, but upon God who raises the dead. You know, I don't think we take reliance as seriously as God does. I mean, sure, we want... You know, we want a reliable car, we want a reliable job, we want reliable friends, we certainly want to return to a reliable economy. But God is so serious about our reliance that he creates the worst moments in our life to, to create it. He creates the worst moments of our life to produce it. He allows these things to happen because he has a greater goal that has to do with our trust and confidence in him, our connection to him, our relationship with him, our joy within him. God is so serious about reliance that he'll create moments that will force us to trust him. Maybe we need to think about that a little bit more. You know, we pray all the time, God, teach me to trust you. You pray it. I pray it as well. God, teach me to trust you. And God says, okay, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of affliction in your life. I'm going to give you a little bit of weakness. I'm going to make you feel trapped. You're going to be sheltered at home. You're going to feel a little bit of despair. In this season, you're going to feel like you're under the sentence of death. And there's no interpretation. There's no, God's not sitting us down and saying, okay, now let me explain exactly what I'm doing. No. Because sometimes God's best work happens when we, his children, are forced to suspend judgment on his motives. To just be in a position where we must trust him. See, it's one thing to, to be weak and to know the cause. I mean, you, you, have an, you have an illness or, or an affliction or 
I, I mean, you, you lose a loved one. Those are, th those are tragic things. The cause may be life-altering. It can be earth-shattering to us. But we know what the cause is. It was an illness. It was this. But there's a kind of trial that has reliance as its goal, where the cause is not entirely clear, where we are deprived of the answer to the question of why. And that particular season of life creates reliance in a way that nothing else will. I mean, think about how often this shows up in scripture. Joseph denies the, the lust of Potiphar's wife in this shining display, display of godliness. He passes the test. It's an extraordinary moment. What happens? Well, he's in prison for two years. No discussion, no explanation, no interpretation. We, we know why, but, but he didn't know why. You know, when you're just readers of the story or when you're outside of the story, it's easier to see the purpose of the story. But when you're in the story with, with daggers of pain that are thrust through you, the affliction can sometimes seem meaningless. It can seem arbitrary. It can seem purposelessness, purposeless. And, and, and some of us can feel like we're, we're there right now. I've touched some of those places as well. I mean, God isn't explaining this pandemic. God's not sitting us down and telling us exactly what he was doing. We don't know why. But see, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us, yes, we don't know why, but we do know at least one purpose it's to inspire reliance, not upon ourselves, but upon God, the God who raises the dead. And so that's act two, the purpose. And that brings us finally to act three, which is the promise. I want you to look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 9b, where he says, that was to make us rely not upon ourselves, and listen to how, to how he describes God, but to on God, to rely on God who raises the dead. See, Paul explains not why he's going through, why he went through what he went through, but he explains why he was able to trust God, because God raises the dead. Again, this is not the why behind the suffering, it's the why behind the reliance, it's the why behind the, the, the ability to have confidence in God because he raises the dead. And see, Paul runs right at it. He says, this is who I trust. I trust the one who raises the dead. Paul says, yeah, we felt like we were sentenced to death, but hey, that's not a problem. God raises the dead. We serve the one who raised, raised the dead. Uh, raising the dead, that's his specialty. In fact, just check out the present tense of the word raises, because that's important in the passage. In other words, raising the dead is not simply confined to the past, like the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not, it's not just cordoned off into the future, like the future resurrection. God continues to raise the dead. God's in the business of raising the dead. Dead situations, those are the ones that God loves, because those bring him glory because those magnify God and God alone. 
You know what I'm talking about. The, you know, the, those seasons where you just feel like there is no life. And I think the pandemic has been like that for a lot of us. I mean, you know, you look around and there's there's no sense of progress, little clarity, little hope that just that sense that there is no life. Or maybe it's not the pandemic, it's the effects of the pandemic. I mean, you look at your income, you look at at your business and you think, hey, there, there's no money, there's no future. It seems like there's no life. Or maybe it's something that predated the pandemic. Maybe the pandemic's actually revealing weaknesses in your marriage or challenges with the children. And you're looking at your kids and you're realizing, you know what, honestly, when I'm gut level honest, the way Paul was honest, there's no interest, there's no conversation. It seems like there's no love. There is no life. All around me is dead. Who can relate to that? God says, Paul can relate to that. See, 2 Corinthians 1 reminds us that God does his greatest work in the face of no life. That God loves to be exalted in dead situations when things seem dead. When there's a crucified and lifeless body lying in the grave and there's a boulder standing in front of the hole with a stone sitting there, God loves to raise the dead. When everything seems hopeless, everything seems futile, the power of God comes and raises the dead. We serve a savior each and every day who was raised from the dead. Upon him, we set our hope. He was raised from the dead. And the point Paul's making that he's bringing in for us right now today is that God loves to raise the dead. He continues to raise the dead. And that God will send a kind of gospel affliction where we, we feel sentenced to death that we might experience the one who conquered death. Times where we feel utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we might experience the one who gives life. And listen, for Paul, this was a game changer. I mean, it convinced him of verse, verse 10, because he goes on to say, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, past tense, and he will deliver us, present tense, on him we have set our hope, he'll deliver us again. In other words, he's, he's delivering us in the future, past, present, future. God just loves to deliver us. And so what I carry away from that and where I want to encourage you is that our trial, this pandemic is not the end of the drama. God delivers us from deadly peril. Our affliction is not the final chapter. God loves to raise the dead. And so are we fixing our hope on the God who loves to raise the dead? Are we fixing our hope on the one who meets us in the midst of our burdens and, and lifts them up and points us forward because that's the hope for our resilience. That's what we need most when we come out of the house and we peer at the landscape and we see the reality of what the pandemic has done. You know, just one last thing on my heart for you today, and that is, when it comes to affliction, 
there's just this sense where Paul, Paul gets real. I mean, I love the fact that he starts in verse 8. He says, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we received in Asia. And then he goes on in verse 11 where he just says, hey, you got to help us by prayer so that many of you will give thanks. There's a sense where Paul is opening up his life. He's opening up his soul. He's, he's throwing it open. He's being very honest about where he is or where he was. And I just want to say to you, if, if you're hurting today, you know, this passage is kind of asking us, who are you talking to? You know, who, who knows about where you are? Paul says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of kind of the struggle I was going through. Is there anyone to whom you're saying, hey, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. I, I'm, I'm having some struggles. You know, I, I've had a struggle for years where I, I, I just want folks to see me in my strengths, you know, to see the best of Dave. You know, can you relate to that at all? Paul, Paul's approach seems to be the exact opposite. Paul says, hey, you got to know how bad I am. You got to know how bad I was. I want to be honest with you about this. Let me just tell you, because he knows that that's what exalts Jesus. He knows that, that that's going to make a statement to people and that's going to magnify the power of God and not the ministry of Paul. So this passes, passage just challenges us. It challenges us to drop the, the self-contained and managed image that we can tend to portray and to just follow Paul's example. Don't let others be ignorant of the affliction that you're experiencing. Talk to each other. Talk about your burdens. Talk about how you're feeling. Ask for prayer. If Paul needed it, then I think we probably need it even more. Friends, we may live our entire lives never fully knowing God's intention in this pandemic. But we do know one thing, one thing that is embedded within this passage. And that is that one intention of this is to make us rely not upon ourselves, but upon God who raises the dead. And for now, that's got to be enough. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for anyone listening who feels utterly burdened beyond their strength, who feels even despair right now. Lord, I pray you would use this passage to remind them of the Savior who was raised from the dead. I pray you would use it to remind them of the God who, who gives power to raise the dead and inspire our hope so that regardless of what we see when we come out of shelter, regardless of what we have experienced, we know that you are at work. We know that you are working to help us rely, not upon ourselves, but upon the God who raises the dead. In Jesus' name, amen.